Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are here to fuel your Rockets news. This is a Rockets Fuel podcast presented by Clutch Fans. I am one of your co-hosts, Lashar Binkley. You can find me at Binkley Hoops on Twitter. And as usual, you can find all my written words on the Dream Shake. I just came out with an article uh, this morning, so make sure you check that out. I'm joined by, of course, my co-host, Mr. Anthony Duckett. How are you doing today, AD? Doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. We are off to a great start this uh, podcast. <laughs> so definitely uh, appreciate, as usual, you jumping on the podcast, helping me out today. And um, we are also joined by a friend of the podcast. Um, I haven't had him on Rockets Fuel before. This is actually his first time on Rockets Fuel, but I've had him on previous podcasts. So we have definitely talked a few times before. It's always a pleasure having him on. One of definitely the best draft analysts out there. I'm joined by Corey Taylor about No Ceilings NBA and the Draft Deck Podcast. So how are you doing today, Corey? Man, it's an exciting time of year. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. You know, us in the draft community, this is our Super Bowl. Uh, You know, so it's an exciting time, especially getting the opportunity to come talk, you know, specifically about how the draft impacts the Rockets. The Rockets community has been so good to the No Ceilings crew. So, yeah, I I just appreciate you guys uh, having me on. I'm, I'm excited to chop it up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, we've talked before. You always give, you know, Great draft predictions. I remember last year you we were talking about Apra and Shangun. You were one of the few people that actually told me how how you had Apra and Shangun on your draft board, and we all see how that played out. So, <laughs> I mean, definitely appreciate your insight, and you know, definitely appreciate your insight today as we have another high lottery pick for the Rockets, and possibly another lottery pick depending on what they do at seventeen and twenty six. But before we get too deep into that, I know that um, the first time we talked was actually right around when No Ceilings NBA was first launching. And now y'all have something huge coming up this Thursday um, where y'all are actually going to be sponsored by DraftKings. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that before we get too deep into the draft? Yeah, so uh, we have the No Ceilings 2022 uh, draft night stream on No Ceilings TV, our YouTube channel. Uh, We are going to be going the entirety of the show. We're going to have all nine of our crew members on the show throughout and uh, we're going to be breaking each pick down, you know, reactions. We're going to have fan um, questions that we're going to answer. It's going to be really interactive. It's going to be dope. Uh, it's sponsored by NBA Top Shot, which is uh, really dope. And, you know, we're going to be doing some cool stuff that we integrate into the stream. We're going to have some pack openings. Maybe we hit the marketplace. Maybe uh, buy some moments, depending on what team is up on the board, to try to, uh, you know, integrate it to make it team-specific. But we're really excited uh, about the entire thing. You know, we've done a couple of uh, big 
live streams on the channel for bigger, you know, big events. We did like a selection Sunday stream. Um, and then we did, uh, you know, a draft lottery stream and, and it was the support we got for that was, was really cool. It was a lot of fun. And, and this is going to be the biggest one of the year. So, uh, we got a meeting later today to kind of map it all out and figure out the specifics of it, but we're bringing the heat come Thursday night. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's, I mean, I remember when No Ceilings first uh, started, so it's, it's great to see how much y'all have taken off in the last couple of years. I mean, it's definitely well-deserved. I mean, pretty much any draft information I need, I go to No Ceilings first. I mean, it's, it's one of the few people that I know that I can go there and actually get, you know, unbiased information and know exactly what I'm getting is, you know, a lot of research has went into it. So I, it's definitely good to see. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, myself along with the crew, I mean, we've been grinding all year because the, the whole concept of No Ceilings was that we wanted to do something in the draft space that nobody's ever done, and that was bring you, you know, written work every single day, Monday through Friday, throughout the entire draft cycle. And that has allowed us to cover all of the guys, you know, up top in the lottery, but even guys that are going to, you know, get two-way contracts and go undrafted, guys probably going to end up overseas. So we have every angle of the draft covered. And, um, you know, we've done that through written work, through podcasts, through videos. So it, it's really about giving the the user, um, the consumer of, of our content, you know, any kind of information they're looking for. Because a, a lot of people focus about the guy, on the guys up top, and we certainly do as well. But, you know, the draft world goes so deep and there's so many angles to cover it and we wanted to give bring something new to the space and i think we've done that this year and uh it's cool because i think that the entire draft space is really supportive even guys that we're in quote-unquote competition with and at the end of the day it just pushes everybody to be better because that, that's what we want to do we want to push the boundaries and uh, i think we've done that so i appreciate you guys you know you've you rocking with us from jump so you, you know the support does not go unnoticed uh my friends yeah yeah definitely and i mean Kind of speaking of people on the top, of course, you know, the Rockets have a number three pick. Um, at this moment, they're not really rumored to move up any further than where they are right now. So they don't have a, real, a lot of say in who they get at number three. But, I mean, watching a lot of your videos, I already know who you have as your number one overall pick. But if you can let our listeners and people that are going to be watching this on YouTube, if you can let them know what's your top five going into this draft and – Exactly. How would they, whoever you have at the number three pick, how do you have them fitting with the current uh, roster that the Rockets have? Okay. So my top five, um, which I've, I've kind of settled on, and, and I don't think this is my specific top five is, is who the Rockets would take here uh, at three. But my top five, I have Chet Holmgren at number one. I have Paolo Boncaro at number two. I have A.J. Griffin at number three. Uh, Jabari Smith at number four, and Keegan Murray at number five. Um, and then to bring it to the sixth pick, I have Jaden Ivey there. So uh, I think that, you know, all rumors, all signs point to Paolo Boncaro probably being the pick at number three for the Rockets. It seems as though, you know, uh, Chet Jabari it will go one or two. Um, so I, I think that for me, if you get personally my number two guy at the third pick, I, I count that as a win, right? And and who knows, like, the draft is unpredictable. And that's one of the things that has always drawn me to it in that you don't know how things are going to shake out. So just because all the rumors and all the smoke points to Jabari and Chet going one and two, 
it doesn't mean that that's how it's going to play out. Jaden Ivey very well could go one or two. You know, he could find his way up there. Um, who, there's a lot of smoke. Maybe one of these top two teams really like Paolo themselves and, and one of these other guys drop. So uh, I don't think it's official until the pick is called in. But uh, as of now, I see it shaking out that Paolo goes three. And uh, if, if that were the case, I think that's a major win for the Houston franchise because uh, to have Paolo Boncaro and Jalen Green as two building blocks in your offense, guys that I think complement each other well, that's a, that's, I mean, that's a big-time start to, to a rebuild. So that, it's very exciting. I think, But I think you can't go wrong with any of Jabari, Chet, or, um, or Paolo. So I think the Rockets are in a great spot. It's kind of like, who's the leftover guy? You know, like that, and, and that's a major win. AD, if you want to go ahead and jump in, I don't want to hog all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So, speaking of which, I was curious, kind of, what are your thoughts on how Apollo would fit in with this, this young Rockets team, this core that we have right now? So, I, I think that ultimately, like next year, Apollo comes in and, like, he's a guy, he's the one guy I think you could be most sure of that if you needed him to step into an NBA game tomorrow, he could probably you know, produce for you similarly to how he produced in college, like 6'10", 250, ball on a string, can play make, uh, you know, feast mid-range, good post footwork. I think that that type of player, these jumbo wings, I know that a lot of people look at him kind of like more as a big, but I think as he gets uh, put into NBA offense, you're going to see him initiate with the ball in his hands a lot, a little bit like Jason Tatum. I mean, that's, that's a great spot to be in and I, I think with him and Jalen you know these are two guys that Jalen I think is has shown at every level of his career that he can play off the ball he can he's not a guy that needs to dominate reps right like even dating back to high school and the FIBA tournaments and stuff like he was always a guy that you can count on to if he doesn't have the ball in his hands he's not just going to be spotted up in the corner he's good moving off the ball he's good taking advantage of backdoor cuts um so Paulo you look at his playmaking and you combine that with Jalen's ability to move off the ball that's easy. Then you could run, pick and roll with Jalen and Paolo and, and let, you know, kind of Paolo sometimes serve as, you know, maybe like that Draymond short roll passer attacking in space. And if, you know, nobody closes out on him, he's got that mid-range shot. So I think that one-two uh, punch there is is lethal both ways. I think you could run some interesting inverted pick and rolls with them too, where, you know, it, it's kind of a pick your poison thing on how you want to cover it. I am maybe – I think with Paulo, the, the only quote-unquote downside would be I don't think the, the fit is as clean with the kind of uh, complementary pieces that the Rockets have. Like, you know, uh, you talked about it. I was a big Shengun guy. I had him at the fifth on my board last year. It's not a clean fit with him and Paulo. I don't think it's an immediate issue that needs to be fixed. You go into it. You see how it does work long-term. I would say that ultimately you would probably end up moving Shengun. But I think that Shengun's the type of guy, like, that kid could hoop, you know, he's got a really, I think he's going to have value in this league. So uh, it might hurt, you know, it always hurts when you move off of guys that you kind of grow an affinity towards that you draft. But sometimes like building a team means you got to move things around to get pieces that fit a little bit better. And ultimately I think guys like that are going to have to be moved with Paulo Cause I think that they're going to play the same position. I don't know if the, the def, you know, the defense, from the five spot is going to be adequate enough when you're looking at like, can these guys play deep in a playoff run together? You know, I can't really see those two guys manning the paint the way that like the Celtics or the Warriors had guys doing that in the finals. So ultimately, but that's long-term stuff. Uh, but uh, other than that, I think that, you know, 
he can play with any of the guys offensively that are on the Rockets team already. And it's, I, I think it's a, a home run situation. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because on the defensive side, you know, the, um, I feel like the, I feel like his limitations are really not as much as everybody's kind of made him out to be as far as uh, Boncaro. Um, what do you think about about that being his biggest weakness or is that his biggest weakness in your estimation? All right, so the way I'm going to answer this, I agree with you. His, his defensive concerns are, to me, very overblown. I've seen him live twice. I've watched, you know, almost every game that he played in and, you know, dating back to high school, you know. Uh, when he wants to, this kid can move. Like, he could stay with guards. He gobbles them up because he's so freaking big. He, he's got great footwork. Um, he could switch his stance. Like, he, when he wants to, he could do whatever you need him to do on the ball defensively. Off the ball, I think that he's pretty intuitive. He's... You know, he makes good reads. He can come over. He's taken charges multiple times this year, so he's willing to sacrifice his body. He can also protect the rim. I mean, he averaged a block a game this year, and when you consider the fact that he was playing alongside Mark Williams, who is a guy who was averaging, you know, three what three blocks, three and a half blocks, whatever it was, you know, you could see him, if he's not playing with a rim protector like that, he probably would have averaged more at the college level, right? Like, so I think that, He's a guy who has all the, all the talent in the world. The problem with Paolo, and this dates back to high school, is that there are times where he looks a little bored. And he's not always giving that consistent effort 100% of the time. And, and that's the concern. He could just kind of coast. He could float. And, and you're always like, what are you doing? Like, if you just go 100 the whole time, like, you could you impact the game every time you, you put effort into it when you're not settling for pull-up jumpers or when you're not, like, taking the play off and missing a rotation because, you know, you're not, like, willing to hustle. That's the thing with Paolo. Those are the questions. But at the same time, defensively, in those moments, sometimes you wonder, like, if you have a rim protector like Mark Williams at the college level, sometimes you, you think that you can take a playoff because you got somebody to clean up your mess a little bit. And that's not necessarily the best, you know, attitude to have towards defense, but... You know, anybody who's played basketball in their life, you've probably been there in, in a situation. Like, you know, you might not go as hard because you know you got somebody behind you. Um, but as far as can he do it, there's no doubt in my mind that he can do it. It's just how often does he want to. The other thing is, too, a lot of times, like, look at Ben Simmons. You know, and you could talk about what he's turned into now, but coming out of LSU, the concern was, like, is he going to defend? Because he really didn't always give 100% in college. And then he came in. This guy was arguably the defensive player of the year before all of the, you know, stuff in his head happened. So I think that put in a situation, building with uh, an organization that has the right uh, mindset and is willing to push him, and I think Jalen is the type of, like, alpha personality that is not going to let him coast. You know, I think he's got that, like, Mamba mentality. And I think that's what Paolo needs. He needs somebody to tell him, like, hey, it's go time. Like, you can't take plays off like that. I think that's a good guy to build with. So I, he's capable. He just needs to be coached and, and have that mentality that, hey, it's go time all the time. And it kind of leads me to my next question, because uh, you mentioned a little bit about Mark Williams, and that may have been pro uh, pro part of the reason why you, we didn't see as much from Paolo Bancaro defensively. So how much do – how much more do you think we're going to see from Bancaro in the NBA, considering that, you know, when you're in college, you play a certain way, you may play a lot of zone, you may not be playing a lot of one-on-one -on -one defense, or you, uh, even offensively, they may not be, especially under Coach K, they may not be, you know, giving them 
all the opportunities that he may have in the NBA, especially with the Rockets, because when he comes with the, if he comes to the Rockets, he's probably going to be the number two option more than likely. So how much more are we going to see in the NBA or how much more can be unlocked with Paulo Bancaro that we didn't see in Duke? I think his offensive game, you're going to see a lot. Uh, I do. Cause you know, I mean, I, I, when I saw them live at the latter part of the year, the second time I saw them in the ACC tournament against uh, Miami, there was like, I mean, he was dominating early. Um, and then he had another run in the second half. And then towards the end of the game, it's a close game. Duke went to these like double drags, like every time down the court where he's kind of serving as the screener. And it's like Trevor Keels and Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach are handling the offense and initiating it all the time. And it's like he barely touched the ball. Like he was not really involved as anything more than a screener. I think that he's a guy that is going to initiate a lot because in high school he was. He looked like he was playing like the LeBron role a lot in high school. And I think that when you look at the NBA, you see these jumbo wings, these initiators – that's kind of the trend. You want somebody who's going to have the ball in their hands, is going to be tall enough to see over the defense. And he's got such good natural playmaking feel that, like, he's a he's got better vision than the point guards that Duke had. It's just that college sometimes can be antiquated. And I think that that's what happened with him. And, and even still, he, he still had pretty decent uh, assist numbers. There were games where you know his playmaking was really uh, a shining moment for him. And like you said, a lot of teams are playing zone. So like, what role is he playing in the zone? He's at the you know he's at the nail, he, and he's showing in those opportunities. Like, okay, he he knows where his shooters are. He knows when to hit AJ Griffin on the wing when the defense rotates. He knows that with all the attention he has at the the free throw line, that uh, he's going to be able to throw lobs to Mark Williams over the top. So with the space. Um, with the play style, I think you're going to see him have the ball in his hands more. You're going to see him run more, pick and roll. And I think there are going to be moments where people are like, oh, wow, why didn't we see this coming? When yeah. if you've been following him, especially pre-college, it, it was obvious that this is the kind of player he's going to turn into. And kind of switch gears a little bit. I think we kind of buried the lead because in your, in your top two, you actually had somebody totally different. So – what makes, in your mind, because I've seen a lot of people with AJ say that he's dropping instead mm. of actually ascending to the top of the draft. So what have you seen from him that makes him, in your mind, a better prospect right now than Jabari Smith, who everybody's been saying right now has been the consistent number one or number two? Um, what I love about AJ is that, one, he has that pedigree that he came into the year as a potential top three guy. Uh he has an NBA uh, family tree. His father played in the league a long time. His father coaches in the league, has been coaching in the league. He understands. And I love that what we saw from him this year at Duke feels like his baseline. This feels like the worst version of what A.J. Griffin is going to look like because, again, like he's coming into a college system where – he was hurt to start the year. He made it back for the beginning of the season, but he missed like the training camp and all that, recovering, rehabbing from his knee. And then as he integrated into their system, he needed to find a role. He needed to find a way to produce without dominating the ball because, like we mentioned, Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, Jeremy Roach, uh, Paulo sometimes. Sometimes he's a fifth ball handler on the floor. And it's like, how do you contribute to winning basketball, can you do that without having the ball in his hands? And he was like, I'm going to, you know, make smart backdoor cuts. I'm going to move off ball. I'm going to sprint to my spots in transition. And I'm going to knock down shots when the ball, you know, gets kicked my way. And 
he shot 45% from three. He was knocked down. Like, you can argue about his wide base if you want. But the kid offensively was efficient from every single spot on the floor. Um, when I take into account that, you know, I'm familiar with his high school film, I would not have described him as the best shooter in the draft coming into the year. The way I would have described him is uh, a guy who plays with the ball in his hands, slashes to the hoop, you know, it is very much in that mold of like Jimmy Butler in, in the way that he operates offensively. And he changed his game completely to what he was in, in, in high school. The, what, the reason he was recruited, he was, you know, uh, perceived to be a top three guy preseason potentially is because of the way he played as a sh- shot creator. He didn't get to show that, but he showed it in flashes. There were, there were moments where you're watching him and you're like, okay, there's that shot creation that I know. That's how he's getting to his spots in the mid-range. That's how he's creating. Look how wiggly he is with the ball in his hands. Look how natural it is. I think you're going to see more of that in the NBA. And uh, when I watch the playoffs and I see the success of Jalen Brown and Jimmy Butler and how those guys fit into the modern NBA where really what you want is a team full of like six, seven, six, eight wings with seven plus wingspans who can pass, dribble, shoot, defend. And to me, it's like, this is going to be what A.J. Griffin's like. You know, again, I've seen him up close a bunch. He looks like a, a tight end. You know, he's like uh, already, he's 18, he's one of the youngest players in the draft. He's 18 years old right now. And he is, you know, legit like 220 of solid muscle. Long wingspan. People say, you know, he lost his athleticism. That's hard to say with an 18-year-old kid who is coming back mid-season. To me, you know, when he gets to the NBA, they're going to get him right. He's going to continue to, you know, strengthen um, his body. Maybe they lean him out a little bit uh, so he's a little bit lighter on his feet. And to me, he's just, he's the epitome of what you're going to see from a modern NBA wing who could pass, dribble, shoot. He never turns the ball over. You know, he's he protects the ball. He's strong. Defensively, there are areas for him to improve for sure, but I saw flashes you know, that I'm like, all right, he just needs to be coached up. Again, this is a kid, he missed uh, a season with an injury in high school, then the COVID season, and then he was late coming into the uh, the college season to where he was basically just thrown into the games. So how do you get better at defense? You need reps. You know, you can watch film, but you can't replicate game speed. So you can't replicate making quick decisions um, as a help defender in a practice in a a workout setting, you know, you just can't do it. You can try to replicate it, but game speed is just a whole nother level. So it took a little bit, but he still showed flashes. He was able to use his strong body to switch up, guard big men and force them into tough post shots. He was able to switch on to guys like Isaiah Wong, one of the shiftiest guys in that conference and force them into not even getting shots off. So while he definitely has to work on the consistencies or whatever, that's stuff that gets coached up. But you can't coach his tools, and you can't coach his effort because you can't question that he didn't try to play hard. It was just little technical things. And to me, at the NBA level, that's going to get coached up, and he's going to be one of these guys that I see potentially being a a 20-plus point-per-game scorer while also being able to be thrown onto a guy like Tatum in the playoffs, a guy like Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. I think that's the type of player he's ultimately going to be. It might not be right away. That's what happens with rookies, but I think he's going to show these flashes. Then we're like, oh, we were sleeping on his self-creation, his defensive potential. And down the line, I think he's going to be a, a big-time player. Nice. Now, what are your thoughts about this class as it compares to <laughs> last year's draft classes? I've heard some people say, ah, oh, it's really top-heavy. But, you know, um, last year's class was actually a really good one, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts about how his class compares? Uh, I mean, 
last year's class might go down as one of the better classes of all time. And you're looking at, you look down the list and you have that top heavy with the Cade, the Mobleys, the Jalens, the Scotty Barnes. And then you go down the line all the way into the twenties. And you even got guys like Cam Thomas there who are, you know, look like they're going to be like high level players. So it's hard to say that this class is going to live up to that. What I think this class has that's beneficial to them. One, I think the, at least there's going to be two guys in that top five that end up being high level players. And that's pretty good for any class like that have like all NBA potential. I think uh, multiple guys have all NBA potential, but I think ultimately probably two of them get there, which is probably the average for each draft class. Um, but I think there are a lot of guys down the line. There's a lot of depth. And once you get, and this, this is what people say about it. Like once you get to like probably 10 or so, you can make arguments, like look at different boards and everybody's going to have different feelings on who belongs in that 10 to 14 range. And you're going to see guys that some people have in the 20s in the 10 to 14 range and vice versa for people. So there's this wide range of depth in this class. There's a lot of good wings that I think you're going to find a lot of like players that have long NBA careers. Maybe not stars, but long NBA careers. And I, I think that's valuable. Fans want stars during the draft. They, it's the unknown. It's the potential. Typically, guys don't hit their peak potential, that ultimate ceiling that you think they're going to hit. Typically. There are outliers down the draft that, that do. But for the most part, it's a bunch of guys who are going to be like, learn how to be role players. I think there's a lot of guys like that that are you're going to find like, oh, man, he's playing in the league eight years later. He went... 22nd or whatever like I think there's a lot of those guys so I think it's a, a strong class in that regard where maybe you're not gonna luck out and get an all-star you know with the Rockets second or third pick but you could absolutely pick a guy who ends up playing in the league for 10 years so I, I think it's a strong class I, I'm a believer in a lot of the talent it's been one of the hardest that I've had to evaluate because I think the talent levels are so close together and ultimately what's gonna matter a lot is the context that these guys get drafted to so like you know i might have a guy 14th on my board pre-draft and then once the draft hits and i see what team they go to they might move up a, a few spots you know and other guys might drop a few spots because maybe there's guys in front of them and blow it's so tight but that's a good thing for you know the the teams that are drafting later in the draft because the talent level i think is pretty close yeah, and I wanted to uh, ask one more question before we wrap up the first segment. The Rockets did just make a trade. It's something actually I want to talk a little bit more about the actual trade in the second segment. But they actually made a trade, uh, trading Christian Wood to Dallas Mavericks for several players, but more importantly, really, the 26th pick. And there's a possibility that the Rockets are going to package those two picks to try to move into the lottery or late part of the lottery um, to add to their already third pick. So what's the one player that if they're around at 10, 11, 12, that you would absolutely want to trade up for? Because um, right now the Rockets are at 17 and 26. <laughs> See, this is the thing. It's hard to – it's really hard to say AJ for sure. Yeah. You know, AJ's – I mean, obviously I have him third in, on my board, and if he's in that range, which some, you know, places are, are mocking him, go get him. You know, like that, that he's the first guy that comes to mind. Uh, I think that, I, I mean, a, a lot of these guys might be there at 17 that, that I'm, I'm about to say. But if Shaden Sharp dropped, you know, there's a lot of rumblings that he's not killing workouts. I think that's a home run swing. Like, he's a mystery. But, you know, I, I went to um, 
a showcase yesterday and I was sitting with a bunch of NBA scouts and I was like, you know, have you seen Shaden? What's going on? And they were like, look, man, if you can't see the talent this kid has, this business is not for you. He is going to be able to play. It's just like, how early does he go? Like, do the teams that are, you know, up towards that top half of the lottery have the balls to take him with so, you know, such few tape. So if he were to drop a little bit, I think he's a guy that you trade up for. And like, that's a smart trade up move because his potential is like, he could be a superstar guy. Um, I think Jalen Duran is a guy that, you know, if he were to drop, year young in his class he really should have just went to prom not been preparing for the nba draft you know uh, i think that he's a guy that you could kind of envision if he hits being sort of like bam out of bio he showed a little bit of playmaking flashes throughout the year he got better throughout the year he already looks like he's 25 years old like physically like he's just a a, a freak he's a physical marvel He's, I, I think, got the potential to kind of guard in multiple ways, different schemes. I think he's going to be able to play in the playoffs. And, you know, Paulo, if, if he were the pick, let's say, um, at three, he's a guy that he's or like he's similar to Mark Williams. So, like, Paulo would already know how to play with a, a, a big man like that. And you can kind of see him being the defensive anchor for this Rockets team. So I think he would be another guy that I would say if, if – you could trade up to get him. That would be a pretty good target as well. One more quick question. What's one player that nobody's really talking about in the first round that you like absolutely love that you would at, tell Rockets fans, just fan, NBA fans in general to kind of keep their eye on that maybe not a lot of people are talking about? Uh, for me, it's Ryan Rollins from Toledo. Um, he's a like six three, six four guard, uh, 6'10 wingspan. He is one of the he's 19 years old so he's a sophomore but he's actually younger than a lot of players in the drafts like he's younger than ty ty washington i think he's like two days older than Jaden hardy um but this kid is just a lot of fun he he reminds me of jalen green in a lot of ways if jalen green couldn't jump over like two people at one time you know he doesn't have that same level of balance or athleticism but the way that they he gets to his shots like is really advanced um i had the opportunity to speak with him and interview him this year and you know we talked about some of his influences he mentioned uh you know cj mccollum is a guy he looks up to because he also played in the mid-major conference and uh has similar measurables uh but the kid rebounds uh he's really good in the passing lanes and just a really advanced scoring package killer in the mid-range like very smooth looks like devin booker there like patient just kind of wise beyond his years in in, in that regard and uh, i think that like He's a guy that is going to be somebody who could come in in a couple of years and really help a team off their bench. And then eventually, I, you know, if in the right scenario and the right developmental program, I could see him being a starter and, and a guy who could really uh, score in this league. So I, I would say look out for him. Uh, Ryan Rollins from Toledo because that kid he's just got that smooth fluid game when I did his feature I compared his game to jazz where he can improvise he doesn't look like he's going through you know like progressions one on oh because he's had a trainer forever he grew up playing pickup and and I think that that kind of style is something that has always appealed to me but uh, Ryan Rollins from Toledo that's my guy yeah I mean that's definitely something to keep in mind it's gonna be a lot of players that some people are gonna be really surprised about coming up in this draft um, that's coming up really soon, so we can actually stop the speculation and move on to next year's speculation. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for first segment. Second segment, like I mentioned earlier, I definitely want to get Corey's opinion on 
Um, the Christian Wood trade that happened recently and how that kind of affects the Rockets going forward, not only with just the current roster, but uh, with their future picks that are coming in in this, uh, this year's draft. So make sure you stick around and we'll be right back. And welcome back to the Rockets Fuel Podcast presented by Clutch Fans. We're joined by Corey Teller of No Ceilings NBA. And in the first segment, we broke down, of course, the draft that's coming up, the top picks, and possibly a late lottery pick that the Rockets may um, end up trading up for with a 17-26 pick. But I also want to talk about the big news that happened a couple of days ago. And the reason why the Rockets have a 26 pick, they actually traded away um, a lot of people's favorite player, Christian Wood, uh, to the Dallas Mavericks uh, for a handful of players. But like I said, the most important part of that was a 26 pick because we really don't know how many of the players are actually going to be on the team when we get to training camp. But that 26 pick was, I think, the most important part of it. So I want to kind of start with that, Corey, because I know you also follow the NBA as a whole. Um, what was your first initial thoughts when you heard about that trade? And how do you think it kind of impacts the Rockets going forward? Because I think that opens up a lot of playing time for players like Alperin Shangun and Uzma Garuba, possibly. So what was kind of your thoughts on that trade when you first heard about it? Yeah, I was I was recording, so um, I kind of reacted to it live during uh, one of my podcasts that uh, I, was, I was doing for the Draft Act. And uh, I kind of thought it was – an interesting trade in just that, like, to me, the, you know, they got a first round pick for him. Um, but it, you know, I guess I would have thought maybe he had more like top 20 ish value. Uh, but I think that maybe it's, it speaks a little bit to his reputation behind the scenes around the league. Um, because obviously his talent is pretty undeniable. Like he's, he's kind of a modern do it all big man I, I mean i guess one of the things i'm interested in knowing more so is like what are rockets fans thoughts on christian wood like are, are they split where some guys kind of thought he was part of the future and some wanted to move on because maybe he didn't fit the core what was kind of the rockets fandom's feelings on christian wood and i'll let ad take that because i know he knows this very well <laughs> <laughs> so i'll say this I don't think there are many of them that thought he was a part of the future. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, Christian was obviously brought in, you know, at the time he was signed to play with Harden, maybe Russ. In my opinion, I still say he got here a year too late. Small ball team would have been perfect for him. I feel like we needed the size. It was a third option, probably a better role for him, um, especially at the time. But um, the opinions are definitely split <laughs> on, yes. on Christian Wood. I would say, but the majority, I think, we're ready to move on. Um, mm. Mainly because some of the character, you said, character concerns, um, issues with you know him refusing to go into a game or him going into a game and not shooting, you know, on purpose, you know, things like that, <laughs> things like yeah. that. Especially with the minute in a contract year, he said he wanted a max deal. I think that's like around thirty-five starting out for him, thirty-five million. Which he, I mean, he's not going to get that obviously. Um, right. Even if Dallas resigned him, they're not going to give him that, but. Um, you know, I, I think some of the concerns there is, you know, a lot of times guys in a contract year, they're trying to prove that I, I want to get paid. Yeah. Doesn't really help a young rebuilding team. You know, you, you're probably going to try to get yours. But again, we have a, you know, 19-year-old core, 20-year-olds, you know, young guys. Just kind of not really, the, the you know, the right place, I, I think, for Wood. Like like Lashard said, give more playing time for Sengun, Garuba. Garuba's still kind of unproven. Last year, we didn't even see much from him. 
So just thought it was it was probably the right the right uh, move. Now, you know, as you mentioned, it was obviously it was a late pick, twenty six pick, but at the same token. You know, I think around the league, we had heard a lot of mixed stuff around the league. Jake Fisher had talked about how, you know, a lot of other teams thought that $15 million a year is even high for Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, despite him having the talent that he had. So, you know, the character concerns are legit. Um, we haven't really gotten into this yet, but I'm, I, I'm really curious to see how he fits in with Dallas. You know, they actually like re- Jason Kidd got in there and kind of kind of rebranded their identity around defense. There were six in defensive right. efficiency this season, which is higher than any of the Rick Carlisle seasons. I don't know how that works with Christian Wood. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he's obviously not a, a stout defender. Yeah, uh, say if least. he can can get Christian Wood to play defense, man, he should win Coach of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah, I think that, like Dallas might be his last stop his last like shot as like can you actually be a guy who maximizes his talent and understands like what it takes to win i think that luca will either and jason Kidd will bring that out of him or they're gonna hate him by the end of it right and he might get moved by like the deadline for all we know so ultimately i think for a player like that like to get the 26 pick you know and i mentioned earlier like there are people who are gonna have guys at pick 26 in their lotteries you know, whoever goes 26. So because of the close talent gap, let's say that the Rockets didn't, weren't able to package those picks together and they just, you know, pick at 17 and and 26. I still think you're going to get a good player. Like there, there are guys out there, Dalen Terry, Jake LaRavia, these guys that I I think are going to be really good NBA players that maybe don't have, won't have like the gaudy, like counting stats that Christian Wood has, but, are much more conducive to building a, you know, a team that makes sense around Jalen and possibly Paulo Boncaro. So I kind of I liked it for for the Rockets. You know, I, I think that I'm I was lukewarm on Christian Wood. It's uh, you know I get a, I've seen I've been an NBA fan for a while. I, there's a lot of guys who put up nice you know stats when they're one of the main guys on the team, but it doesn't impact winning necessarily. And there's definitely a scenario where Christian Wood goes to Dallas buys in, figures it out, and helps that team win, that's uh, a f- that's for sure, uh, you know, something that could happen. But at the same time, I think that f- it makes sense for Houston to move off of it and continue to build this team around its core pieces. Because I think that whoever they land at three is going to ha- probably help dictate a little bit what they do with their next picks if they don't trade up. And uh, it's going to allow the team to kind of see what they have in all of these young players I like it. I mean, I already love, like, you know, we, did, we haven't talked about Josh Christopher at all. That was another guy who I had in my lottery last year. Um, so, like, I love the, the Rockets' young pieces. You know, they nabbed uh, with their picks last year. They they got three guys who were, you know, very highly ranked on my personal board. I have full confidence that they're going to identify the talent wherever they pick. So, uh, to me, if you could package them and get a guy, that's a home run, and you're going to – at least hit some singles if, if you don't do that. And sometimes hitting singles is important. Look at Memphis. They hit a ton of singles. And now that team goes legit like 12 deep with guys that Ja could not be be playing and they're still winning games, right? So that that's important too and it's an underrated thing. Everybody wants to go for the home runs, but sometimes those singles are more important because a lot of times it's just swinging for home runs. You might be swinging in the dirt. 
You know, it's not that ball's not always coming down the plate. Sometimes he's swinging into dirt. So I, I think that they're going to at least be able to hit some singles. I trust their talent evaluation. And, and speaking of singles, I mean, possible singles, uh, another guy from last year draft that didn't get a lot of playing time was hurt. I actually covered him in the G League. He only played five games in the G League, but you kind of saw the talent there. But what was what was your opinion of Uzma Garuba last year going into the draft? And what have you seen from him? Like I said, I know it hasn't been a lot because he's been in and out of the lineups. He's been in and out of the G League, G League to the Rockets. But do you see him having a future as maybe a backup to Shangoon? Um, I know a lot of people have been looking forward to that, especially with Christian Wood gone now. The only other center currently on the roster is Bruno Fernando, um, who was a guy they picked up in a trade last year. So what's kind of your opinion on Uzma Garuba? I, I liked Garuba uh, coming in. I mean, he was a kid who was really young, playing in a, like the highest level overseas and, and producing. And anytime you find somebody who's doing that, that matters. But he's still young. And, you know, the NBA game, a lot of it is, like, can you knock down shots? So his offense was obviously, like, the question, like, can he contribute enough offensively early on that he's not going to completely, like, bog down your offense and he showed in Europe that he you know maybe not consistently enough but has the potential to knock down three-point shots in spot-up situations he showed good passing chops and uh ultimately I think that defensively he's kind of the guy that you're looking for in a playoff setting right because I think that he could kind of play like you could see him turning into like the quote-unquote Grant Williams right like where he's playing in the playoffs you could throw him on some of these like Giannis types and obviously he's not going to completely shut them down but if he can make them work hard right that's really important in the playoffs just make make you work hard he can switch out on the perimeter he come over block shots he's really long I like him as a long-term play so um, I'm interested to see you know as, as he's more comfortable now and gets a little healthier how he develops in year two because if he can knock down shots consistently I think he's a pretty good fit with Shangun, even like allowing them to play together. Cause you know, there's only so many guys that are like Jokic and Embiid where like the, the size in the front court is going to hurt you. You know what I mean? Like if you want to post up, uh, you know, Clint Capella or Javal McGee or something and, and go at those guys, like be my guest, like that's not good offense in, in 2022. So I think that the versatility that he brings defensively, um, and potentially offensively, because I, I do like his playmaking feel, he's just got to knock down shots, in, in my opinion. And, and one other thing um, I want to ask, and you kind of brought up about Josh Christopher. Um, he started off a little bit slow, just like all the Rockets, just like Jalen Green started off slow as well. I mean, Aperon Shangun was the only one that kind of hit the ground running last year uh, for many reasons, lineup reasons, just trying to get used to the NBA. But what do you kind of ultimately see Josh Christopher's role as? Because the Rockets tried to use him a little bit as a point guard, as some uh, backup point guard at some points last year, then kind of moving back to more of a shooting guard wing. Um, do you just see him more of a, as a combo guard? Um, and what do you see as far as his future? Do you see him more of as, like we spoke earlier, that some players are just role players. This is kind of what yeah. they're going to end up being. Do you see that as more of this more uh, type of role for him? Or do you see him as possibly being a starter in the NBA? I guess it all depends on what his future is with the Rockets. Um, you know, I think that Jalen Green, Josh Christopher, Kevin Porter 
ultimately are all a little bit too similar. Like, they're obviously not exactly the same players, but I think you want a little bit more variance from that guard trio than, than you're getting. So... I don't know if eventually the Rockets move off of Josh Christopher or they move off of Kevin Porter. The only guy I, as an outside looking in type uh, evaluator, like Jalen Green is the only guy in that backcourt that I would comfortably say is going to be on the team in three years from now. But I'm high on Josh Christopher as a combo guard, and I think that if he doesn't become a starter, I think he's going to be one of those six men that, you know, is going to contribute on a playoff team. You know, he's going to be Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford, Jordan Clarkson. Like, he's going to be win a six-man-of-the-year award. And I think what differentiates him from some of those guys is that I'm a big buyer in his defensive potential. Like, I really like how he defends. He's strong. He's long. He's athletic. He cares. And if you can get a two-way guy off the bench that's able to get you buckets and defend, I think that... That's, you know, that matters. That's that's a good thing. Because Jalen is there, I don't know if I see them playing in the same front court, as, uh, in the same backcourt as starters long term. Uh, I think the way the NBA is trended, like, you want, you want size. Like, you want size on the wing. You want size even from your point guard spot. You know, uh, like, and that's why, like, a guy like Dacia Nix, I think, is, um, like, got a, sh- a shot in the league because he's pretty big positionally, you know. Like, I, I think, obviously, he's got a – continue to be con- well-conditioned and stay in shape uh, if he wants to have, like, a long run. But those are the type of guys that you see come in and have success. And, uh, I mean, the league is downsizing from the big spot but upsizing from the guard spots. And, you know, Jalen is uh, an outlier, you know, so he could be 6'4". And, uh, I mean, he's obviously going to get stronger because he's young. But I think you want other bigger guys to complement him and some size around him. So you can play this, you know, switchable scheme. So on the Rockets, I'd say Josh Christopher is probably going to be like their six man off the bench. But I could totally see him going to a different team at some point in his career and being a valuable starter because he offers two way upside. Um, but I'm a big fan of him. So, you know, it, it, it all depends. I, I think he's going to be a valuable contributor wherever he is. He, he ends up in, in his career. And and one more thing uh, before I let AD jump in, I want to, and you brought up Dacian Nix, and that's really interesting about him. What do you, well, first question is, why do you think he went undrafted last year? And and what do you think he has to improve on uh, to be able, because I mean, the Rockets did um, bring him to, in with a uh, sign to a standard contract from the uh, Rio Grande Valley Vipers, their G League affiliate. Um, so he has actually, you know, improved throughout the year. But w- what do you think was the reason why he wasn't drafted last year? Because coming into uh, the year before, he was one of the top players in the country. Honestly, I think it's because he really was not in shape during his G League season. Like, it was pretty noticeable um, that he was out of shape. And he actually, he was one of the guys that first G League game you were like, oh, yeah, this is going to translate, like, with the Ignite. Like, he was – he had a good game. He was making passes. He obviously has that natural playmaking feel that you can't teach where it's just innate. He's got – he knows when to get the guys the ball. He can make live dribble reads. He can hit the weak side. It's really advanced stuff for a young kid. Obviously, like, the three-point shooting, his G League Ignite season didn't um, – you know, he wasn't, like, hitting shots at a high clip. And I think when you, when you take into account that the shooting was at best inconsistent and – the fact that he was out of shape, you're going to be like, this is a guy that maybe we don't take with a draft pick. This is a guy that you try to sign to a two-way deal, undrafted free agents, whatever. 
But if he can stay in shape, he's got the size to switch up and down and defend. He's got the playmaking feel. Um, and I don't think the shot is broken by any means. Like, it's not something that you have to completely, completely rebuild. It's just work on getting, you know, consistency with. So I I, I liked Dacian Nix last year. Um, and I think, you know, playing in a pro league helped him. He, he, was, he played well in the G League this year. So, uh, again... I think that he's going to have a shot. It's just, to me, it's all about can he stay in good shape? That's that's going to be the, the crux of it because the NBA is a league where, like, you could be in and out in a minute if, if you're not, especially as a young kid, like, where you're trying to prove yourself. Um, but if he gets in peak shape, like, I don't – it's not even like I think he could just be, like – I think he could be a, a starting-level player eventually because he's got the size um, and the feel to kind of work himself into an NBA offense. I want to kind of talk to you about K.J. Martin. Um, you know, he obviously entered, entered the league as a kind of a project developmental player. You know, he went to IMG Academy, didn't go to college. Um, and it's like he's been a lot more polished than maybe what was thought of coming into the league, which should, probably shouldn't be surprised because his dad was a high-level player for so long. Um, can you kind of speak of some of the progressions that you, that you think that K.J. has made, at least maybe what you thought about him uh, a few years back? Yeah, I – I mean, I, I didn't see it. You know, I thought he was just kind of uh, a guy who obviously is super athletic, and I thought that was going to be kind of what he was, just relying on his athleticism. For me, I think one of the things that helps him is he fits the mold of the modern NBA and where it's gone. Like, I think if this was 15 years ago, maybe he'd be considered like a tweener a little bit, and would it'd be hard to fit him in positionally. But I, I like the fact that, he's one of these guys that you could picture switching on to different positions and he can, you know, be out on the perimeter and then, you know, kind of switch onto a bigger guy and hold his own. And he's athletic enough that he could kind of, you know, get offensive boards and be a, a lob threat and get out in transition. He doesn't need the ball in his hands, but I think ultimately I feel like he's played a little bit like more under control than you would have kind of think that a guy relying on his athleticism would when the speed of the game uh, of the NBA increases because every level the speed gets quicker and guys have a hard time adjusting. And I think the fact that he is that athletic and he, he's kind of hasn't looked as out of control as I'd have thought he would, but I just think he's the, the kind of wingy four that NBA teams are looking for. Like that's the value play. A lot of times, um, taking bets on those guys, like, you know, it's now you look back and Herb Jones went, way later than he should have, right? But those are the type of guys that are having kind of the success. He, he fits that archetype a little bit. So I think that's – I think it's the timing of when he came into the league and uh, the fact that he's a low-usage guy. He can kind of fit on any roster and, and do some of the little stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, like you said, I mean, that was one of the actual – Rockets actually traded um, for that late – uh, pick in uh, KJ Martin. They actually traded to get him. A lot of people didn't even think too much of it at the time, but I mean, it may play out in favor. And maybe that'll happen again this year. Even though the Rockets don't have a second round pick, and maybe an uh, undrafted free agent they may bring in that nobody was talking about. So, I mean, it's a lot of different things that could happen um, in this upcoming draft. One more thing I wanted to ask you before we wrap up the show. I know a lot of Rockets fans probably don't even want to hear about it, but we do have to talk about the fact that Golden State did win the championship. Um, they did, you know, beat Boston in six games. So what was kind of your just overall thought on that? And did, did you just feel like this Boston just kind of just, 
I don't know, just kind of went away from everything that they did well um, to even get to that point. Because it just kind of seems like it just got to a point where it was just Jason Tatum tries to score it and Jalen Brown tries to score it. It really wasn't any type of offensive flow to that game at all. And it just kind of just broke down. So what was kind of your thoughts overall on the NBA Finals? I went into the series. I predicted Warriors in six. Um, I thought the Warriors presented challenges that the Celtics had not faced at all in the playoffs. The Celtics started with the the Nets and KD and, and that crew, and it was a lot of like mid-range ISO stuff, which I think is easier to contain in a playoff setting um, because there's not as much like thinking that your defense has to do. There's not as much crazy rotations and trying to anticipate. It's just kind of like you have a strategy, like are we going to load up? Are we going to double? Like what are we doing? Uh, are we going to give him these shots? And they handled business pretty easily there because they have the athletes to kind of perfectly handle that. Then, um, you know, in their other series, it was like Giannis and, and those guys, especially without Middleton, they weren't like this ball-moving, three-point shooting team either. It was just kind of like, let's shut down the paint and make try to make their role players knock down threes. We don't think they're going to, right? If we shut down the paint, they're that they're going to not be able to handle us. So they got out of that and it took them seven games still. Uh, the the Heat, same thing. Like Duncan Robinson couldn't play, so they took away the three-point shooting and it was, you know, Hero was hurt and it's like, let's shut down the paint. We're going to let Jimmy get to the hoop or not let him. He kind of willed his way wherever he wanted to. Um, but like at, it was similar to Milwaukee. And then you, you get presented with the Warriors and you got, 15, it seems like there's 15 guys on the court that you have to defend because they're yeah. you know running all over the place and they're cutting and blah, blah, blah. And then Steph is such a, an otherworldly shooter that you have to guard him as soon as he comes over half court. And I just thought, like, the how tired they were going through hard, physical, seven-game series with the Heat and the Bucks, And then the Warriors were pretty fresh. They had championship pedigree and experience. And they were a completely different offensive structure to what they were just guarding. I just thought the the Celtics, I just didn't know how they were going to guard it for, for seven games. And it played out very similarly to how I thought it was. Um, I, they just looked gassed by the end of the series, man. Like, you know, like... And they, they reverted back to what didn't work for them early in the year. They went, I saw this, I saw that. It was take your turn, my turn. And um, they just didn't have anybody to calm it down. And, and they didn't, they nev- you know, they ha- they've never been there. They're young. It's, it's when you get there the first time, sometimes there's growing pains, right? So it kind of played out like I thought it was going to, to be completely honest. I, and I, I wasn't right about some of the other stuff that happened in, in the playoffs, but I was pretty... I pretty much nailed this one, so I can pat myself on the back for at least one one round of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of the same with everybody. I don't think anybody had the Mavericks getting to the conference finals or, you know, 76ers going out the way they did. So, yeah, it was a lot of surprises. And hopefully in a couple of years we're actually talking about the Rockets this time of year and not necessarily during the draft, even though we love having you on for the draft talk. So <laughs> yeah. about that. We, we can take a rounders and late first. Exactly. That's <laughs> exactly what I was about to say. Oh, we can talk about late first rounders, but I think I've had enough of these early lottery picks. But uh, I definitely appreciate you coming on again. Um, as always, we love having you on the show. And before we wrap it up, if you can let everybody know again where they can find all your uh, great content, especially coming up in the next week. 
Yeah, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Corey Teleba or at No Ceilings NBA, um, No Ceilings uh, TV on YouTube. Again, that's where our draft stream is going to be on draft night. Um, you can follow my YouTube channel, the NBA Draft Dude, the Draft Act, NBA Draft Podcast. And if you want to do a lot of research, um, we wrote about just about every single prospect there is. Just go to TheCeilingsNBA.com, hit the search bar. It's all free. And make sure you subscribe to it because it's free. And you'll get your, you know, all the content delivered directly to your inbox Monday through Friday. And, you know, this was year one of No Ceilings. And we're going to continue to push the boundaries. We're going to, you know, cover more NBA next year, covering the young guys uh, in the league, and as well as obviously the the incoming class and maybe even some grassroots stuff for the, the class a year behind. So next year, we're going to take it up another notch and uh, we're really excited about it. So it's free and you don't even have to put the address in your website. We're doing the work for you. It's going to get delivered directly to your inbox. So yeah. no ceilings, NBA.com. Yeah, that's a great, great content. And great um, content. as much as I would love the Rockets not to be in this position next year, they'll probably be in this position again next year. So we will definitely be having you uh, back on again. And, of course, AD, I appreciate you, as usual, jumping Always. on. All right, so that's going to do it for today's show. Of course, we you know have a lot of draft content coming up. We have uh, Mr. Ben DeVos coming on next week. So we'll be talking a lot, of bit, a lot about the draft and – uh, Rock is number three pick, maybe even a higher lottery pick. So we'll be talking a lot about that in the next coming week. Uh, so as usual, we appreciate everybody coming on. And make sure you check us out on YouTube. This video will be up on YouTube here pretty soon. As usual, give us the five stars and like us wherever you get your podcast. And we always appreciate everybody coming on every week. And we'll be back with another episode of the Rockets Fuel Podcast presented by Clutch Fans. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.